every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Rosie on the house, your outdoor living hour, second Saturday of the month. So we are talking trees. If you follow along in our home maintenance calendar, you can get just by letting us know the address you would like it mailed to. Our 2022 calendars arrived at our office last week. So that mailing for everyone that's already on that list will go out mid-December. If you want to get added to that list between now and then and get a brand new, it's basically a homeowner's handbook uh, for annual maintenance on your home, castle, or cabin. And it outlines all the highlights and talking points and features that we have in the broadcast scheduled for the next year. Well, in this one, we've got the Chinese pistache is lined as our tree of the month. And joining us in studio, Sarah Maitland from Save a Tree. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Thank you. And Dave Jernigan, Gardener's Touch. You've been brought in to talk about our to-do of the month as it relates to talking trees and we'll talk about why it's overseeding lawns and how that relates to trees. But let's first talk about our tree of the month, the Chinese pistache. Okay. Um, So our tree of the month is the Chinese pistache, and it's a really beautiful dark green foliage tree, kind of umbrella-shaped. It has a a pinnately compound leaf, so there's lots of little leaflets on each leaf. Um, And in the fall, it turns and has some really beautiful fall color. Um, it's an old-fashioned type of a tree um, in a way that really it's hard to, to attain them anymore. They grow different cultivars now of the pistache, and one of those um, is the red push, and that's a real popular tree. And I think I gave you something to put on your website, and people can go look at that um, from Absolutely. the Arizona Pistachio mm-hmm. Nursery. And he's got a lot of information there about the red push. It's on the quick links at rosieonthehouse.com. Just look for the pistache uh, hyperlink. It's on the right-hand side, just about halfway down on the scroll. And I've been talking about doing this for a couple months, and time just gets away from me. And, and partly, I, you know, some of these trees I may not know uh, where to go find and <clears throat> drive around and be like, oh, that's a Chinese pistache. But <clears throat> I'd love to get three or four public places that people could just do a drive-by and see what the tree is that we're talking about. Yes, we've got images on our website, but being able to see it in person is always a lot more uh, well, beneficial. Well, um, the pistache, the Chinese pistache, you'll see some really nice big specimens You know, in residential areas more than anything. There are some at ASU Arboretum, I believe. And then there's also one that almost looks just like it, and I had to had to really work on identifying the uh, chi- uh, the pistachio Atlantis. Is it Atlantis? Some, uh, it is Atlantica. That's what it is. I walked up to it and it was huge, like sixty feet tall. Same leaf as the pistache, but a little smaller. Um, but then the red push, I think, on Indian School. Um, from Miller on, there's red push pistache all the way down the roads. And a lot of the streetscapes in the city of Phoenix are, are really pushing the red push pistache because it's such a hardy tree. Um, it really takes very little water. And the fun thing about it, it, it's not as full and leafy as the Chinese pistache, but it it 
has um, a, a brilliant red or, you know, kind of a red. All the new growth comes out red. And so it gives it a little ornamental look to it. Um, and that's why they call it the red push. It's Christmas colors in the spring when it's blooming out with the next year's growth. Well, we'll have the Christmas colors. December is typically when the, the pistache trees show their pretty color. And Dave, you were saying that you've seen lots of colors, right? Yeah, yeah, they do tend to drop their leaves a little bit later than some of the other trees. It's around Christmas time. And for I don't know, for whatever reason, if it's a different cultivar or maybe a pH of the soil or fertilization or what, but there are different shades from burgundies to, to bright reds. So it, it is pretty pretty neat how they, they do that. So, And they I can't emphasize enough how hardy they are for low water use. I know when Ursula was doing her test for U of A, um, they they competed well against Ironwoods and Palo Verde for water use. So all they look they look very lush. They are really they can really go with a lot less water. So you get two color seasons out of the tree. Once when it's deciduous and it's dropping its leaves, they turn red or auburn or blue. But then in the spring when all the new growth comes out, you know all the new leaves this year that are first time on that branch. It's all red on the ends. Uh, and it's green on the interior. Yeah, and it, they seem to leaf out late too, don't they? Like yeah. May. Um, and the other thing we found with what you said about them really being tolerant of you know drought and low water use, we've been finding a lot dead in landscapes where we're coming out and they're toast, and it almost looks like Texas root rot, and they weep at the base of them. And I I was talking with a couple growers this week and found out that. Um, other people, other arborists have been doing testing in the, in pathology and everything, trying to figure out what's killing these trees. And it's it's root rot. It's just overwatering. They're not finding pathogens. They're just finding that the, too much water. And a pistache, it kind of weeps in, in a way like it. I, I remember when I was a kid and it used to drip a candle over a bottle. It kind of looks like that down the tree. And that's the first sign of stress. So really back off your water if that's what you're doing. And another place you can see this if you're out and about on the 303, there's a new east-west um, road that's been, that they're building, the, the Northern Expressway, uh, Northern Avenue. That new expressway, any tree on that stretch from about the 303 into um, – the first light just past Luke Air Force Base, any non-native tree on that stretch, you know, 90% of them are red push. I saw that yesterday. I was just at a client's house in, in uh, Palo Verde, yeah, and I drove right down that area. Yeah, that's, that's, a, okay. pretty, that's a pretty uh, landscaped highway, I think. They, they did a nice job with that. Um, there's also another pistachio, which is the pistachio lentiscus, and I think they call it... Um, do you remember the common name on it? Um, uh, <laughs> oh, come the on. The gum so, tree, the... Um, <laughs> um, the mulga? No. Yeah. Is no. it mulga? No. I thought that was an acacia. Oh, anyway, it's, a, it's another pistache, and it has a much smaller leaf, and um, it has a little bit more of an erratic growth habit, but um, one of the things that my one of our arborists told me today with any of the pistache don't trim the bottoms like with power tools. He said that's the best way to, to destroy the structure of it, and especially with the the uh, pistachio lentiscus. And the pistache, different than a pistachio, these aren't fruiting. You're not going to get any 
kind of nuts off of them. These are all ornamental decorative trees. Correct. I, I guess Cochise County, it's a different um, species that's that's grown for fruit production, and it has to have 500 hours of cold. And so Cochise County is the only place in the state of Arizona that you can grow that. And that is our tree of the month. Again, you can see more uh, pictures of it at rosieonthehouse.com and our quick links. Big to do this week is, uh, this month for trees is overseeding. Well, good luck overseeding this year if you haven't made plans already. Um, <laughs> if you haven't heard, I, my mom called me last night and said, oh, it's even on the news. Um, grass seed has doubled in price. It's like a lot of COVID-related items. For whatever reason, they weren't able to get the production they needed, and there's a pretty big shortage of ryegrass seed this year. I've been hearing about the drought in Oregon, and most of our overseed rye seed comes from Oregon. I mean, did it just not grow as much because of water conditions up in the Northwest this last summer? I've heard as much that it's as much about transportation and being able to get it here um, because even the loads that I was expecting, it took, it was delayed quite a bit. So I don't really know the full reason, but they, they seem to jump to COVID as an excuse for pretty much anything that isn't there. <laughs> so there's a shortage of uh, ryegrass seed. And this week, Water Use It Wisely published an article in their weekly newsletter, 10 Reasons Not to Overseed uh, with with Rye. And that was not in there. The shortage uh, was not in there. Yeah, I That's think, interesting. I think it's boilerplate. They say the same thing every year. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it is difficult and it's expensive. So, um, um, yeah, it's a good time. I mean, if you like your summer grass, then then just let it go. Put some pre-emergent down so that you don't have the weeds. It's a good chance to get rid of some of those weeds that you've been battling and uh, let it ride and uh, have a good summer grass next year. So then forego the, the rye. Right. Pre-emerge, keep, kill any weeds from coming back next summer and... Save, yep. save your water consumption. Yeah, sa- save your water consumption and also uh, help your Bermuda out because whenever you go to overseed, it's very stressful on the Bermuda grass. Um, I know a lot of places will tell you, it's time to core aerate, it's time to verticut. Well, it's, it's really it's good for making money if you're in the industry, but it's not really great for the grass because uh, as the grass is going dormant, the last thing you need to do is take out chunks of the root or st- chunks of the stems. That is where the sugars and starches are stored, which they need to come back in the springtime. So, um, so yeah, ideally what you like to do, we like to use a plant growth regulator to suppress the growth. The growth. Um, and you also want to back off the water. Um, ideally, you want to look for nighttime temperatures that are getting into the low 60s or into the 50s because that's when the Bermuda is going to stop growing anyway. Um, everybody is, is very anxious to get their grass in in the uh in the fall um, after the the summer because it's usually so hard on it and a lot of times they jump the gun and that Bermuda would really like an extra month to grow. So the old saying used to be um, seed by, by Halloween and mow by Thanksgiving. And that still holds true. I seeded after Thanksgiving last year and I was or after Halloween and I was cutting grass by Thanksgiving for sure. So we'll talk about how to do it if you can and do want to undergo the expense of a riot grass lawn um, and one of the things that we started doing which was Jay Harper suggests he's like if you want a lawn in his opinion it's better to just ditch your Bermuda in the summer and have a winter lawn because it's the temperatures are more conducive to being outside and actually enjoying it than 
a Bermuda lawn when it's 120. It's like no one goes out and stands on their lawn when it's 118 degrees. <laughs> so we're talking trees here with Sarah Maitland of Save a Tree and Dave Drudenkin, the Gardener's Touch. Continuing our conversation here and talking trees about overseeding our lawn. And uh, one more interesting point that I didn't know from Water Use It Wisely on why not to plant. One of the reasons I stated, uh, waste water rates are often determined by your municipality based on winter use. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a high winter use, which a planting process of ryegrass can take a lot of water, it could set the stage for a, a higher bill later. I did not know that one. You like your Bermuda lawn for a different reason. I do, I do. And Dave um, Jernigan that's here with us from Gardener's Touch, he actually installed my my grass in April of last year, or this year, and I planted it for my tortoise. <laughs> I've got a desert tortoise named Buddy, and, and tortoises need 90% fiber in their diet. And so pretty much you don't have to feed them. You just need a patch of grass. And how big is Buddy's patch of grass? Oh, it's about 20 by 30. Yeah, it's just enough where, you know, you don't have to have a big, expansive backyard full of grass for, um, you know, all the time. You could have just enough to give you that little feeling of cool. Um, it's right off the porch. It actually does cool the porch, just having that little bit of grass. And if you want to use it um, water wisely, go to the ASMET, um, A-Z-M-E-T. It's a website by the U of A that uh, you can go th- follow it through the turf programs. It'll, it's green. Just keep hitting green until you get to, and it'll tell you exactly how much water you need on your lawn. So that's yeah, it's a great thing. it's a great website. It, it has the ET ratio, which is evapotranspiration. It's how much water the turf is actually using, and they measure it someplace I don't know where. But but we follow that pretty religiously in the summertime on our schedules, because it'll it'll fluctuate, and and they give you a good three day every you know water in three days a week. Put down this much, and then you just do a little bit of math for the size of sprinklers you have or the kind of sprinklers you have, because sprinklers vary quite a bit from. Um, you know, the older sprinklers, like the little pop-ups, those it takes 15 to 20 minutes to put down an inch of water. And then you get the bigger rotors like you see in the parks, and those can take 40 to 50 minutes. And then you have the new MP rotators. Those are low water use, but a lot of people, that if you're not in the industry or you haven't been educated, they just don't get it. Those take an hour and 50 minutes one five zero to get down, and it's the same inch of water. So if you don't know, you're not programming your clock enough. And I have clients say, it seems like these are on for an awful long time. It's like, yeah, they, they are because they put out water so slowly. So, And they, they eliminate the need to do multiple start times because a lot of times you'll turn on your clock and you want to put down 10 minutes of water, but after five minutes it's running off. So well, what do you do? Well, you do a different start time. So you have one start time of five minutes, and then an hour and a half later you do another start time of five minutes. Then you'll get down the right amount of water, and uh, you don't have the runoff. So. Well, Save a Tree has a lawn program, and, you know, I was pretty impressed. Which is new, and why it came into topic this first time. Yeah, it's not really new to Save a Tree. It's new to Integrity Save a Tree, because when when we were acquired by Save a Tree, um, they brought in all these new programs that we weren't, weren't doing. And they're from the Northeast, and they like their lawns, and I'm really impressed with how they look and 
it's a seven times a year program. So you get um, the nutrient and the weed control you need throughout the season. And I think, Dave, you were saying people just aren't fertilizing enough. But I'm really impressed with the lawn program and the nutrients and the way the turf looks so healthy um, with some of our clients. Yeah, grass grass is a heavy feeder. It needs it needs fed, and if you, it'll survive if you don't, but it won't thrive and look look like you would prefer it looks. So, well, talk through the actual process of overseeding. What's the first thing we do to the Bermuda lawn? Um, first thing you do is you start to reduce the water and you let it get a little bit taller. Um, you you want to kind of let it slow down you know naturally instead of just chopping it off and shutting off the water completely um so we slow down on the water um you look at the et ratio and then back that off a little bit maybe you take off a day in the frequency and uh, let it get a little bit taller and and then we we like to like i say apply a plant growth regulator which is really sounds it's like, oh, no, they're putting chemicals on the lawn. But it's really good for the plant because it takes the nutrients it would otherwise put in the leafy growth in the top and pushes it down into the roots so you get more stored starches and sugars for the springtime and you get more root, root development. So that's that's our practice. That's what they do on the golf courses. And, um, and then we'll shut off the grass, the water, for one week, which doesn't really stress it out badly, but we've got the PGR in there. And then once we scalp it, we can count on about three weeks of, of the grass not growing. Um, because so many times you, you do go through the process, you put down your seed, the grass comes up, and then the Bermuda's coming right back with it. And it's like, boy, this looks great. Mm-hmm. And then you get that first cold snap in December, and it's like, what happened to my lawn? Because half of the grass that you see is a Bermuda grass that's come back. So that's where being able to shut it down uh, comes into play. So um, when we put down our seed, the other thing we want to do is get down our starter fertilizer at the same time. And the starter fertilizer is the middle number and the last number. The, so there's three numbers. The first number is nitrogen. We don't really care much about nitrogen at this point. We want the phosphorus. It's the middle number. That's going to give us root growth. And we want the potassium is the last number. And that's going to help put the Bermuda, uh, make the Bermuda go to bed a little bit more and keep it, keep it healthier for the spring green up. Um, then um, after that, the other thing that's really critical is you want to get a lot of nitrogen after it's come up. That's when you want to start applying the nitrogen. And um, and we'll talk about nitrogen application to your uh, overseed lawn when we get back with Dave Jernigan, Garden Touch, and Sarah Maitland, Save a Tree here at Rosie on the House, Talking Trees. Continuing our conversation this morning, Talking Trees, we do it the second Saturday of every month, and we've got Sarah Maitland, ISA Certified Arborist with Save a Tree, and Dave Jernigan of the Garden Touch in studio with us. And Dave, as we were going to break, you were talking about you don't need nitrogen when you're overseeding your lawn at the beginning, but once the plant starts to grow, then you do want that nitrogen. So is this a second fertilizer application? Is it... Oh, it's it's multiples because once the grass, even the ryegrass, once it gets cold, it's not taking up anything from the soil. So you need to have that the you need to have the nutrients stored up inside the plant. So you basically have to get three actual pounds of nitrogen into the plant or into the 
into the ground before Thanksgiving. And that's a good cutoff because that's typically when it starts to get colder and they don't take take up the nitrogen as well. And what you'll see if you don't do that is late December and January, the grass turns yellow and you're putting down your fertilizer, doing everything you can, you can't get it to green up. Well, the, the reason why is because you didn't get enough nitrogen in the ground to begin with. So what we do is every week after, so we seed, we let it come up, that'll take a week. This following week, we'll start putting down nitrogen at the rate of about five pounds per thousand square feet of, of the product. Now it's not five actual pounds of nitrogen, it's just five pounds of product. And We'll use 2100 typically. And if you get some with iron, that's good too. Um, but we'll do that every week. And um, when it's cool, it works out great. If we have a summer li- or a fall like last year, you end up baling hay and the customer's going, what are you doing? My grass is growing <laughs> like mad. But uh, but the fact is that come January, December, January, and everybody else's grass looks looking kind of, kind of sketchy, yours looks great. I've had, I've had other contracts say, how do you get your grass so green? Where did you get your seed? It's like, it's not the seed, it's the fertilization. And Sarah, you had one mentioned during the break, you want to talk a little bit more about plant growth regulators. Correct. And I know Dave was talking about one that he uses. We talked about it during the break for, for turf. And basically, it slows the growth of the plant and redirects the energy down into the roots. It's not a chemical. All the plant growth regulators are naturally occurring. We just increase them. When you go to spray um, olives to prevent them from having olives or to stop fruit production, it's a different growth regulator, but you're increasing the acidic acid in the plant and causing it to drop its blooms. With turf, we're just slowing it. And we use plant growth regulators a lot on trees that are hurting. Um, And it's not new science, but it's paclobutrazol is that particular plant growth regulator that kind of redirects the energy of the tree down into the roots and slows the vegetative state. And, and so we get a, a lot of help with trees that are really hurting and, and trying to recover um, using those products. But they're perfectly safe. They're, they're naturally occurring. One more question that I have before we uh, wrap up our overseeding conversation and get on to some of our other talking points is, when do you need a seed cover for your winter rye? We typically do it um, so... Doesn't matter how good you are or how perfect you put it down, you're always going to have, you're almost always going to have a spot here or there. So we like to use that. We'll start putting it on the trucks a week or two after to, if an area you have to spot seed, we'll put that down because you don't want to water the whole lawn to accommodate you know a three by five patch of grass that didn't come in like you'd like so it's nice to to hold the moisture and it's dark in color so it also holds the heat in better so if you get later in the season and it's kind of cold um i guess if you um if you want to put it down to hold the moisture in so you can use less water you can do that it's it's kind of a judgment call i guess on on you know, because the product costs money and the labor to put it out costs money. So it's like, do I spend the money on water? Do I spend the money on this or that? <laughs> um, but it certainly looks nice. And the nutrient value, I mean, it does have some nutrient value. And uh, it also shows off a little bit better because when that rye pops through, you've got that nice light green color contrasting against the dark topper, which is a nice look. Um, so in general, we we don't put it on at the beginning and we'll, we'll do spot top dress but I, I do need to say um, I work with a, a 
a property management guy that's an old oaky and uh, he used to be in the golf course business and he swears by peat moss and so he'll get a pallet of peat moss and you know it comes in these cubes and it's really hard and he will run over it with a truck and smash it down and he'll use that as the topper and it really does you know it's, it brings the ph down and our ph is so high in our water and in our soil so it's definitely a plus we put peat in our our flower bed mixes um but he uses that and he swears by it and i gotta admit his grass always does look good so so that's another one you can use but typically the the topper or the soil amendment they call it um it, it's just more it's steer the, manure um well that's another another one <laughs> yeah it's another another one and doesn't smell as good yeah and, and after you have to take up a yard and a half of it because even though it, it is deodorized steer manure if a client tells you that smells and you're out there raking up the finest particles <laughs> with a blower <laughs> not much fun so i don't really use that much anymore well i did that and then the the hickman's i i use that chicken manure oh too. yeah that's a really good product, but yeah. I always put it down before I leave to go camping. <laughs> oh, see, I always mix it in. We have a weird uh, potting soil mix for our flowers. We'll use alfalfa pellets, we'll use Hickman's, and we'll use peat, and then we follow up with the Monterey Complete Disease Control after we plant. So, um, because those those nutrients really get that soil active. I mean, it, it's really cooking when you do that. So, and if you're just joining us, the big takeaway you might have missed for winter lawns is is if you can find seed you'll be lucky so if you haven't already got your seed or if you have it done professionally every year you might want to talk to your uh, company that's providing that to you make sure they've got seed for your property because you may just by default not ending up with uh winter rylon and just because of shortages right yeah and if you do get it it's going to the price is double and a 50 pound bag was a seems like a hundred bucks so you're looking at 200 bucks for 50 pound bag yeah yeah i mean on the on the retail end yeah so yeah i mean i was driving with the pal i'm looking at my back of my truck it's like i have five thousand dollars in the back of my truck of seed (laughs) of seed it's like i was afraid to stop (laughs) i i pulled up today at a at circle k and i was starting to get down there's another landscaper's like is he going to take the seed out of my truck i I can't lock the bed (laughs) seed wars (laughs) sitting there the black market seed (laughs) well i'm not going to overseed i'm going to let mine rest this year so get to my roots but i might Michael, get the plant growth regulator we talked about. I didn't yeah. think about it. I bought some um, to put on some trees to, to uh, slow the growth, um, some mesquites I have, but I've not tried it on grass. So. Yeah. Have you had any luck? I know a couple of years ago you were experimenting with, uh, with it on mesquites to stop the bean production. Uh, has any more been done on that? Um, we use Florel. We spray with Florel, which is also a plant growth regulator when the mesquites are blooming two applications because they kind of bloom at the top before they bloom at the bottom and i i went i experimented on my tree and went from um like eight big black garbage bags to three little white ones oh nice and any of you who pick up mesquite beans all day long know that that's a huge thing and then you'll even get a residual the second year on pod production and it's real successful if it's applied with the right timing yeah 
And so when we have 50 properties doing it, we have to rely on the client to call and say, it's blooming, I hear the bees. And that's what I tell them, listen for the bees. That's that's great. You know, I do, when I prepare a bid, I do a budget, a yearly budget, and they're like, why is it so much in May and why is it so much in June? I said, because in May you got Palo Verde blooms all over the ground, it takes forever to clean them up. And in June you got the mesquite pods all over the ground and, and we'll spend, we'll pick them up and we'll be ready to pull away and there's already more dropping. So anything you can do to stop that. Yeah, uh, so. spray the floral. And it defoliates them a little bit. It's not this time of year topic, but yeah. it defoliates them. You'll get a green carpet, but they leave right back out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about other applications you've got on your talking points, fertilizing on deciduous trees. Um, so you, you would fertilize now as it's getting ready to go dormant? Yeah, in the fall, it really helps with recovery. Fall is when I like to do um, a lot of different flowering trees, the jacarandas, um, any of your, your flowering shrubs, and that's a good time of year for that. Um, we do ash, we do um, the, the pecans and pistache in the fall, and again in the spring, and we, we just help them. You know, you get get some recovery and, and get the nutrient into them in the fall. In the spring, you just give them a boost um, to get them going for the season. Do you guys do you guys do a, a lot of uh, phosphorus for the blooms for the spring, or do you do more potassium to help them over the winter, or what are you looking for with your product? Um, you know, Save-A-Tree formulates their own products, and I don't recall what's the formulation of the different ones, but they work everything according to what yeah. the needs of the plant are. So. I always like asking questions of other yeah, other people because my, we, yeah, my big famous one though, or the one I'm most most um, happy with is the Arbor Kelp, and that application is is harvested from the North Atlantic, and they add in um, humic acid, amino acids, and biozone, which is naturally occurring microbes that fight pathogens, yeah. and then we put the citrus pH reducer in with it, uh-huh. and a KP Restore, which is like an organic matter. And it's all in a formulation, and it's great for the desert trees, um, any of the legumes that don't really need the nitrogen. Yeah. Okay. You know, if Arbico's listening out there, you need to develop a bug that will eat the the nutsedge nuts, because I'm having the worst trouble with nutsedge. And I was thinking today, what could I put down organically to kill nutsedge? Because I got the nutsedge coming up in my rye mix, and it just drives me nuts. And I'm thinking, if there was just a like a boar or a grub that would just eat nutsedge, that would be perfect. <laughs> well, it's cut the head off the snake. You pull it out, and man, it just the yeah, little fibers spread all underground and. Nutsedge is a tough one. We have like a three three applications a year that we we try to use yeah. to apply nutsedge yeah. sedge it, treatments. Yeah, and depending on what fertilizers you use, there's some fertilizer products that they that that thing loves and and it just goes nuts. But you know, one of the things about um, those applications is is I have conversations with customers all the time because if you read the label, you're not supposed to apply it before it's 90 degrees, and you got to do it. You know, you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to let it grow for a day after you mow it. So for us as a maintenance contractor, we can't really apply it while we're there on a regular visit. So we have to send somebody on an off day to do it, and then on top of that, we have to do it early in the morning because once you hit you know 90, you're supposed to stop. It's not going to work, so uh, it is yeah. one of those real scheduling difficult ones. Well, we're lucky because the sedges are all going to go dormant now, well, and they won't yeah. pop back up. Well, they're probably still there, but they, they do slow their growth in the winter, yeah. so that's more of a summer application process. 
Yeah, nighttime temps are supposed to be down in the 50s here next week, I believe. So that'll be great. I'll, I'll be glad to see that nuts edge go to bed. <laughs> and going to bed, if you don't do a rye lawn and you put down pre-emergent, is that going to keep it from coming back next summer? Uh, it won't help with the nutsedge, but it will help with a lot of others. But you can continue to do the the product she's talking about because r- the other thing about nutsedge is you have to – all the expensive chemicals that kill it don't work before the summer solstice because before the summer solstice, they're just partying, putting on growth. You know, After the summer solstice, it's like, oh, we got to retire here in a little bit. We better start saving. So then they use all the nutrient to go into that nut, and that's when that chemical really works. So if you can apply the chemical now – you're going to get a better kill on those nuts. But it does take at least three or four applications to to do it. And the other thing is you're supposed to be waiting like six weeks in between applications too, which very few people really actually read the whole label. And people are spraying it out there all the time. You know, I spray this every week and it's just not dying. I don't get it. All right, final segment coming up. and talk about one of my favorite topics. We'll actually be planting trees. And our final segment of Talking Trees, we're going to be talking about planting or transplanting trees. And, you know, it really starts with the right tree in the right location. Did you see this week on D.C. Ranch? They're getting ready to pull out 670 <laughs> sisu trees as Yay. preventative damage. Yay! Um, what they anticipate Woo! the roots are going to cause, the plumbing <laughs> to the street, cracks in the driveways. It's a great tree, just not great with a lot of houses and structures around. <laughs> Correct. It's highly invasive roots on sisus and they break herbs. And, you know, um, John had done some consultation even where the roots from one, one person's, the neighbor came up and broke through the cement in one of our clients' gar- garage floors. <laughs> I mean, it's really that bad. I would love to see the methodology they're going to use to get rid of them because the worst thing in the world you can do is go out and chop that tree down without any kind of pre-treatment. Well, you can pre-treat, you know, mm-hmm. the hack and squirt, um, and we have some success with that, And but we didn't do it because I, I guess the chemical, resi- there's a residual and oh. the, the climbers don't like the residual chemical. Oh. Um, but if you can fall the tree, it, that works. Um, but otherwise, you do have to definitely treat when you cut it. But we tell the clients to water the tree, get them happy, get them sucking up everything, cut them down, treat them with the herbicide, and you usually get about a 10 or 15 foot kill. Then you got to deal with sprouts after that part of the process. And in this case, they're looking at replacing with evergreen elms what when you're nice tree when you're nice planting tree. when your ideal tree comes to mind what 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 tree ends up on your list i want to get some evergreen elms i was at a client's this morning and um, kathy had these beautiful evergreen elms they're just vase shaped nice bark i think it was our tree of the month a couple months ago but that's a really nice tree Dave, you have any favorites? I love a Texas ebony. Oh, yeah. They are so dark green. They just don't look like they belong here. They're so green. And they grow slow, so they're not much of a maintenance nightmare. But um, 
but I like those a lot. But really, it's the right tree in the right space. You hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what you look for. I did a consult once for Rovi Ranch, and I put in my thing, though, the best thing that could happen for these trees is they would all die for you because they're in these little itty-bitty medians. And if they live, you're going to be you know, breaking up sidewalks in years and stuff like that. So. Well, that's one of the good things about that red push pistache, man. It survives in those little tiny medians just just fine. <laughs> there was a, fine. a Talking Trees broadcast. A caller had asked for advice on tree. And after we talked about the situation, where it's placed, how much room size and everything, all three arborists that day all said the red push pistache. It's very rare you get three experts they come to the same. Anything. Yeah, but it's a good time of year to to plant trees, you know, and to transplant evergreens. You know, it's a really good time of year for that. Um, you always want to make sure your roots are fixed and your planting levels correct. But it's a really good time of year for planting. And if you're planting a tree, obviously, in a lot of cases, you need the, an irrigation setup. So, Dave, when you're planting a tree, do you guys run a drip irrigation system? Do you do bubblers? What type of water application do you like? We, we typically do drip emitters, yeah. I would like to do bubblers, but that's that's kind of old school. And, uh, um, you know, they do have some nice new bubblers, so you can get a, a half gallon a minute or a one gallon a minute or a quarter gallon a minute, which is really nice. Um but it involves another another valve, and uh, everybody just seems to be a lot more comfortable with emitters. So that's typically what we go with. But I do like the, the Zero Bugs. They, they've got a wide variety of gallonages. So you can get five, seven, ten gallon per hour emitters, which for the most part, they most people will use the multi-port emitters, which each have two. But those are so big and bulky that I'm not a big fan of them just because the aesthetics and that. So... Now, do you guys have a favorite tree grower you send people to? I tell you, I love walking through baseline trees. They have their oh. their mulched ground is so comfortable. Honestly, when I was having <laughs> knee problems, I'd go out there just for therapy and see I all just the had trees. a long conversation with Tommy yesterday, and and he was the one that told me about you know the pistache trees right. and overwatering them, trying to find time to get down there in the morning and look for some trees. But he is wholesale. And something else that y'all offer now with trees is stringing trees, Christmas lights. We've got uh, Christmas coming up, holiday light decoration. Do y'all have anything on your schedule or are you guys already booked out? Um, we're not booked out, but we do have, we've got a crew ready to get started, get things up before Thanksgiving. And it's exciting for me. Um, Save a Tree is one of the services that Save a Tree brought to us um, when we were acquired. And they do the Denver, Denver Botanical Gardens, and it's nice decor. I mean, it's really it's professional. So everything is lined perfectly. Um, it's spliced and cut, so it's all all really commercially done, and it's beautiful. You can get lots of colors. You can do trunk wraps. You can do trees. You can do um, lines along the driveway, the edges of your houses. Um, but it, for Save-A-Tree, it's a service. It's something that we'll come out, we'll measure, we'll put it up. Um, we maintain it through the season. If anything breaks, timer goes out, lights go out, we maintain it. And then we bring it down and put it, put it in a box and put your name on it. You know, it's no work to you. And it's it's just beautiful. You could schedule, or to get on that schedule, uh, I would suggest doing it online today so that you're 
uh, top priority come Monday, first in, first out. Savatree.com, S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com. Sarah Maitland, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us, along with your guest, Dave Jernigan, the Gardener's Touch. And they can call the office, too, um, at 602-788-0005.